Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs ramble about their apprehensions regarding the masks off policy. We report on a guy who got his last paycheck in pennies. We present the next installment of commentary from our chief aging officer. We have fun with perhaps the English language's longest palindrome. We read you the latest, latest info on the mask-unmask policies. The Old Dog's conversation is with Sandra Miller, a physician for many years. She has now turned to a rather eclectic mix of fiction genres. Stay with us. All it's that time again. Uh oh. What mean- is on your mind? <laughs> oh, I see. I thought it was something else. I thought you had to go to the bathroom. Uh, there is something on my mind. All right, get it out. Okay. As of uh, the time of this episode, the CDC issued new guidelines regarding wearing of masks. Yes. And so uh, it means that this is a decision point for a lot of people. Do I continue wearing masks? Do I not? Yeah. Uh, Already some people are behaving like it was the end of World War II, you know, tossing their masks in the air and Mm, dancing. Kissing nurses. Exactly, yes. Mm. Um, So you got any thoughts on that? Uh, No, none at all. Well, we'll keep this short because it's really not that good a topic. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I do, Paul. I think that actually wearing masks – for the near future, it's probably still a good idea uh, because one of the guidelines appears to be that uh, it's up to your discretion. We are going to assume that you have been vaccinated. And so if you've been vaccinated, you can come into our store without a mask. That's not going to happen. So I think that even though I have been vaccinated, I would like to just take the precaution for the next few weeks of wearing a mask in stores, but I don't feel that compunction outside at all, anywhere, not even at a restaurant. And what if people said, Jim, I prefer your look with the mask. Is that you're going to respond to that? I I always aim to please. I got to. Yeah. Um, I'm with you that I'm probably going to be circumspect about – uh, if I'm going into a place that's crowded, I'm probably going to take a mask with me and maybe put it on if it feels hazardous. On the other hand, I also feel that in an outdoor space where there's sufficient distancing, I'm not going to wear a mask. But I think probably over the next several weeks, that's going to ease quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and the, the the problem, I guess, is... These directives from the CDC were aimed at people who have been vaccinated. Right. Unfortunately, there's a whole bunch of people, about half the population, that have not been vaccinated. So we really don't know who is probably safe to remove a mask and and who is not. Yeah, and I think it will continue to be that way. I think there are people who will get vaccinated, certainly far more people in the next couple of months. There are also people who will not plane will not get vaccinated. So uh, how do we approach that situation? Uh, You know, people have talked about having a passport uh, to show that you've been vaccinated. Yeah, I I think it's going to be an uncomfortable couple of months when people don't know whether to mask, not to mask, maybe judging other people harshly. 
who are not wearing a mask in a situation where they feel they should. Um, we, we've got to get past a lot as, as, a, as a country. You know, we have a short memory, I think, when it comes to these kind of things. Once we've been given permission to take our masks off, uh, I think the good times will roll. So what do you think the good times are going to be, Paul? Oh, the good times. What are the good times? Listen, the good times are being able to breathe normal (laughs) by taking the damn mask off. Oh, that's that's the good times. Boy, that's a that's a geezer talking. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. How do you get back at an employee when they quit under a cloud? Well, you give the employee his final paycheck in pennies. This pod nugget is from Sky News for March 26, 2021. It wasn't clear why Andreas Flayton quit his job at a car workshop in England, but it is clear that it wasn't on good terms. He had difficulty getting his final paycheck. Well, finally he got paid, but it was in the form of 90,000 pennies coated in some greasy substance Mm. and dumped on his driveway. On top of the pile was his final payslip, along with an explicit parting message from his ex-employer. So now Andreas spends his evenings cleaning the pennies so he can cash them in. His girlfriend is looking on the bright side, saying... Well, with that many pennies, we're bound to find a few treasures. I already found one from 1937. (laughs) Now that's the kind of enthusiasm you want around as you're cleaning 90,000 pennies. Flayton's employer was contacted by a TV station to get his side of the story, but the boss claimed he couldn't remember whether he dropped off the pennies or not. Oh, sure. But the boss continued, the important thing was Flayton got paid. At the rate he's going, it will take several days for Flayton to clean his filthy loot, (laughs) plus a few hours for the bank teller to count the pennies. Of course, he does have lots of time now, since Mm -hmm. he is unemployed at the moment. Yep. In this installment from Kathleen O'Brien, our chief aging officer talks about the hey boomer phenomenon and suggests that younger folks may want to reframe their blame. We understand you're upset. You, the young among us, have inherited a climate that is out of control, an economy that doesn't work for you, and conflicts overseas that you didn't start. And you blame us, the baby boomers, for the fact that the world is a mess. Hence, the OK Boomer mean from a number of months ago that caught on in one day. 17-year-olds were selling t-shirts with OK Boomer written in big letters right on the front. But when I said, we understand that you're upset, Millennials and Gen Z, I wasn't being dismissive. We do, to paraphrase a famous boomer, feel your pain. In fact, we felt the world was in similar shape when we were about your age. I know it's hard to imagine, but baby boomers were frightened and angry when we were teenagers, too. First, there was the real threat of nuclear annihilation during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Google that if you want. Then there was the Vietnam War. Back in the 1960s, we had a draft. Thousands of young men were sent halfway around the world to fight a war they didn't begin to understand. Too many of them came home in body bags, friends, brothers. As young adults, we were scared and outraged over the war. We protested, and thanks in part to our protests, the war ended. Baby boomers also fought for civil rights and women's rights. We worked for cleaner air and more healthful food. 
we pushed back against corporations valuing profits above all else. Did we feel we were cleaning up after the greatest generation's mess? Did we blame them for everything? I don't remember. But I do know we never printed up and sold OK Greatest Generation t-shirts for 36 bucks a pop. We weren't that entrepreneurial. We expect great things from you, Gen Z and Millennials. You'll make the world better in ways you can't imagine. Then you'll be old like we are. You'll wonder where the time went and why no one listens to you anymore. We'll be long gone. You'll be the ones to take teenagers under your wing and explain the ways of the world. A palindrome is a word or sentence that reads the same forward or backward. It is a harmless bit of wordplay with a long history. Palindromes can be traced back to about 70 A.D. when one was discovered on buried graffiti in the ashes on Herculaneum, a sister city to Pompeii. I wonder if that palindrome was oh-oh. <laughs> anyway, one of the more famous palindromes is Abel, I was, ere I saw Elba. Here's mm-hmm. another example. Marge lets Nora see Sharon's telegram. Or this one, Satan, oscillate my metallic sonatas. That's my favorite. Well, as you can tell, there has always been an informal competition for the longest and most nonsensical palindrome. Well, the Word Genius website has come up with a winner. It comprises 263 letters that form 61 first names. And now, my partner, Jim Conlon will attempt to enunciate all 263 letters without the benefit of a net. Dennis, Nell, Edna, Leon, Nedra, Anita, Rolf, Nora, Alice, Carol, Leo, Jane, Reed, Dina, Dale, Basil, Ray, Penny, Lana, Dave, Denny, Lena, Ida, Bernadette, Ben, Ray, Lila, Nina, Joe, Ira, Mara, Sarah, Mario, Jan, Ina, Lily, Arnie, Betty, Dan, Reba, Diane, Lynn, Ed, Eva, Dana, Lynn, with an E, Pearl, Isabel, Ada, Ned, D, Rena, Joel, Laura, Cecil, Aaron, Flora, Tina, Arden, Noel, and Ellen, <laughs> sinned. Hey, that must have been quite a party, huh? Mm. Who was that mask man? Well, he was the guy who didn't hear that the CDC has changed its advice on masks uh, again. No. This pod nugget is from the New York Times for May 14th, 2021. Recommendations about what to do during the pandemic have often been conflicting, if not confusing. Stay at home. Avoid crowds, wipe down hard surfaces, socially distance, grab extra toilet paper, pay a ransom for Clorox wipes, cover your eyes, wear a mask at all times. And now, you can take off the mask. Oh, that zany CDC is at it again. Based on recent studies, people who have taken the approved vaccines are highly unlikely to catch or transmit the virus. Therefore, the CDC has recommended that folks who are fully immunized can now remove their masks in most settings. However, those who are not immunized must remain masked. Well, here's the rub. As they say in massage parlors and barbecue joints, the masking rules are determined by states and local governments. They don't have to agree with the CDC. And the suggestion that unvaccinated people should remain masked is on the honor system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That system has never worked well, even with people who are honorable. Well, I intend to be cautiously unmasked, at least until the next pandemic. Yeah, me too. 
Sandra Miller was a physician for many years, but always nurtured a love for writing. Now she's free to use her considerable experience to create a rather new kind of fiction that includes romance, the world of medicine, science, and the Grand Canyon. Good morning, Sandra. Do you want to be called Sandra, Doctor? What's your preferred? Uh, hey, you. Uh, hey, you is really good. <laughs> I usually go by Sandra, but I'll answer to almost anything and everything. Do you consider yourself a, a doctor still, or are you a writer? Well, um, that's really a good question. You can't completely unbecome a doctor because that's officially part of your name. Um, but I haven't practiced for almost six years now. Uh, tell us about the early days when you were in college and you were studying the craft of writing. Well, originally, I thought I wanted to go into journalism because I'd always enjoyed writing. And so everybody around me said, you want to be a journalist. And then I got to college and took some journalism classes, which involved a lot of reporting, uh, interviewing people. And I was a pretty timid person at that time. And it was just horrible. Then I realized, I had not even realized there was actually a major called, in those days, called rhetoric. Now it's called creative writing. So I switched my major to that, which meant I could stay a recluse and write poetry and little short stories and that sort of thing and be very happy about it and read lots of literature. But then in my sophomore year, I sort of realized there was no real future or career for me in that field. And I actually always loved the sciences. And... Suddenly, I was in pre-med. You were in medical school at a time when there were not a lot of women in medical school. What was that like? What was the pressure on you? Yeah, it was about one in 10 at the time. And some schools were a little bit better than that, but most were not, and some were much worse than that at the time. You know, we banded together somewhat. We were all very different people, all very different women, and our experiences were all different. But um, some people were very gracious and excited to have us there, and others were very authoritative and, you know, tried to put you down. But, but that's a common problem in medicine that's slowly getting better, and you just persevered. You had to know your stuff, and you had to be good at what you did, and that usually won the day. Why did you choose being a general practitioner rather than specializing? It's interesting because that was always the only thing I was ever interested in. No specialty ever really attracted me. In my naive concept of medicine, I saw myself as the country doctor. You know, I was raised in the Midwest. And so that was sort of the image that I had in my mind, the vision I had in my mind, not very realistic. Still, that's what drew me. I enjoy talking to people. I really enjoy trying to put the big picture. You have to be very comfortable with all the shades of gray. You know, the, if you're in a specialty, you can know absolutely everything there is to know about that specialty. But in family medicine, you need to be comfortable with knowing the fact that you can't know everything and that everything is not knowable. So what was the fantasy about country doctor that you did not get to experience? And in what ways perhaps did you get to experience it that way? Um, the thing about the country doctor is I realized I'm more of a private person. Some of the people I know who were in the small town were the small town more country doctor. Everybody knows who you are, where you are every minute. Um, you know, you don't really have as much of a private life. And I realized that did not appeal to me. And so I never was out in the small towns. I've always been in the big city. I grew up in a mid-sized town in Illinois, 
And I came to Phoenix for my residency and I really liked the desert. I became a desert rat. I liked the people out here and I never left. But you at the age of 65 decided time for another career. Can you tell us about that decision? I found myself as I was getting to my mid 60s that I was in teaching. And so to be teaching medicine, I worked at family medicine residency and to be in teaching, you have to be about as on top of things as you can. You need to constantly be reading the latest research, the latest knowledge. You can't, nobody can know everything. It's too broad of a field, but you have to know where to find it quickly. And you have to be pretty accurate. And we have to be totally accurate, pretty much. Um, And if there's a gray zone, then you work around that and you talk about what the challenges are of that gray zone. But as I was getting into my mid 60s, I realized um, I don't think I really had lost the ability to keep up with all that constantly changing knowledge, but I think I was losing my drive to keep up with it. I was I was feeling tired of that relentless push to constantly be reading, studying, keeping up, um, imparting that. I love the teaching. I love working with the residents. Um, But I I just thought it was time. I, I didn't want to be the one who the residents would go down the hall and see me sitting there waiting to be consulted. And they'd kind of like, oh, don't ask her. She won't know. (laughs) I didn't want to be that person. (laughs) That's funny. So then you decided to become a novelist. And this somewhat dormant uh, urge to write uh, came to the surface. Tell us about that. Yeah, I didn't expect it to, uh, to take hold of me quite as strongly as it did. Writing a novel is... You know, it's, I think of the Suez Canal barge. It's kind of like trying to push this giant barge down a tiny canal in a huge wind. And you keep bumping into the sides and having to start over and realign. And it's kind of a, a messy process. And, and uh, I think that my novels have been evolving as I do it. And uh, I'm, it's just the most fun I've ever had. And I've had a pretty busy career. And I, this is just it's fun to create these characters. It's fun to come up with the scenarios, um, see what they would say to one another. It's, it's just a hoot. Well, you practiced medicine for a long time. How did you relate all that experience to the way you wrote your stories? That's a great question. Uh, it's for one thing, first of all, you have to really make sure that you're not telling real life stories. Um, you, you can't be telling a person's story because one is not your story to tell. Um, but there are so many experiences over all the decades that I've done this that you can mix and match and blend and fictionalize pretty easily. Um, but, you know, people want to get better mostly and to show that struggle and to show what their barriers are to getting better and then to also show how that interacts with the physician's desire to get them better and the physician's barriers too, because, you know, they're human as well. And sometimes patients don't come across in the most friendly and um, palatable way. And so trying to work with that as well, um, it all mixes into the stories that I like to tell. In three of your novels, you have a main character named Dr. Abby Wilmore. Tell us how you came up with that character. There was really not much fiction written about your everyday, either family physician or woman physician, you know, just trying to get through their day, you know, what their triumphs are, what their disasters are, and, you know, how they deal with that. It's also really common um, that physicians tend to be perfectionists, um, and that's who you want for your physician. 
Um, but sometimes anxiety goes along with that. So my protagonist does have an anxiety condition that she has to work with. And then the third component, which is that these books are based at the Grand Canyon, is um, based on the fact that our hospital in Phoenix for a long time supplied physicians doing a rotation at the Grand Canyon. Obviously, being a physician on the south rim of the Grand Canyon is such a unique experience. And so I knew a lot of the people who did that and would come back with their stories. And I think those had just been accumulating inside me and like, these are great stories. These these could be told. One thing that I did notice is you have a great deal of fun uh, describing the idiosyncrasies of your characters. And here's the question. It took a while. Do you find yourself staring at people and kind of collecting their mannerisms to put into a future book? You know, I've spent my life doing that. <laughs> and so when I start writing, it just starts coming out. It's, it's all in here. You know, everybody is a conglomeration of probably, you know, 20 different people. Characters take on a life of their own. And many people who write fiction will tell you that. You know, that you think a character is going to say certain things and you're writing and all of a sudden they're saying something you didn't actually plan on them to say. And it's almost a little scary sometimes that they seem to be these real people in your head. But that's what makes it really fun. Sandra, I want to quote something from Publishers Weekly here. They say your works are part Grey's Anatomy and part Western Romance. Does that sound accurate? Um, Probably. That's actually pretty accurate. Um, I call them a mixed genre because there's there's the romance, but there's also a lot of adventure. But the science is all extremely accurate. I spend a lot of time studying the science, not just the medicine, but the, there's a lot of geology and a lot of astronomy, just because those are areas that I'm interested in. The book that you have in your hand takes place mostly at Yellowstone. It's back and forth between Yellowstone and the canyon. And I happen to be an amateur volcanologist lately. And I just, I just love reading about volcanoes. And of course, with Yellowstone, we've got right in our backyard, the biggest super volcano in the world. Well, I've enjoyed reading your book. One byproduct is it's given me more diseases to worry about. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Things I had not realized existed. There's just endless good diseases to worry about. <laughs> Finding some weird zoonosis or the diseases that we get from animals um, is really fun. There's some really good ones out there. I can tell you one thing for sure. I have sworn off eating bats for dinner. That is off the menu. You know, you know that was probably a wise move. Thank I don't think they're that tasty anyway. Well, with a little salsa. <laughs> it makes everything better. Exactly. Speaking of salsa, you seem to be really enjoying yourself, yes. enjoying your life. Uh, can you have any advice for our listeners who are really in our age category? Um, I think you have to tap into other parts of yourself. Um, some people do continue to work because they love their work. And, you know, if you can find creative ways to entertain yourself and, and be productive, I also do a lot of volunteer work. And um, I'm, I just started archery lessons. Because oh, of course. <laughs> and then that'll, that'll show up in a book, I'm sure. Well, that's why I started them, because there's a character in a book I'm working on that um, is going to be taking archery lessons. So I figured if I'm going to write about this, I should, should go do it. Uh, Sandra, let's make sure that we publicize your book. The latest book that has just been released is called What the River Said. Yeah. And uh, the publisher's name? 
Uh, it's the University of Nevada Press. And it's also available on Amazon, um, which is the resource most people use. Right. So we yeah. encourage our listeners to check it out. It's really an unusual combination of genres. It's about time the world had an unusual combination of genres. So, Sandra, thank you so much it's for delight. this lovely conversation. Oh, this is just delightful. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.